This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
That brother has soul. Thank you, Tim Wilson. I'm glad you drive over from Nevada. It's good to have all of you here. Today, I'll admit, I feel like one of those Old Testament prophets crying out in the wilderness. Speaking unpopular and maybe even unwelcome words to to God's people. And as I prepped for for our lesson, I had a lot of thoughts come through my mind. I I wondered if after listening today, if your reaction might be, get get him out of here, put him back in the well. Uh, Or Rip Van Winkle, you've been asleep for 20 years or, or 50 years. Or Joe, you obviously don't get out of your cave very much because nobody thinks that way anymore. But even with those thoughts running through my mind, I still felt I I needed to kind of, in a sense, put on my prophet's robe and talk to you about a matter that is very uncomfortable for all of us, and that's the matter of sexual intimacy. Now, I want to make a couple of things abundantly clear. One is, I I know we have kids here. Uh, I know that we're on radio. I know that this is being live-streamed around the world, but let me assure you that I've tried to prepare my remarks with this in mind, so... Your kids will be safe here today. But just a newsflash, parents, your kids probably know a lot more about this subject than you think they do. In fact, parents, they may even know more about this subject than you do. But one of the reasons we need to deal with this in church is because our children's perspective and and even our own perspectives are being shaped by our culture, and therefore our perspectives many times are jaded, They're, they're distorted. Uh, but one of the reasons, uh, you know, we need to deal with this is to try to get this from, from God's perspective. The second thing I want to make clear is that I'm not speaking with any judgment or holier-than-thou attitude, not at all, because I've learned that when we do that, we open ourselves up to hypocrisy, because we're all guilty of sin. Not everyone may physically commit immorality, but many times there's lust. And if there isn't lust, we all had the starting point of being sinners. And so that kind of levels the playing field today. And by the way, this is lesson number three in our series that I've called Distorted, and we're dealing with some of the different distortions that Satan has brought about in our culture and in our lives. Now, I won't do this, but but I feel as if I could preach this message and and just say, okay, today I want you to keep your Bibles closed. Just put them on the seat beside you, put them on the floor. You're not going to need your Bibles because for our authority, we're going to just draw lessons by watching, learning from our culture. And, and, And again, I won't do that because we need the authority of God's Word, but just by looking at our culture as Americans, there are some powerful lessons that could be learned if we could just ask some questions. Questions such as, When it comes to our current views on sexual intimacy in America, is our new morality working? I mean, seriously, are are we better off because of what our nation calls progress in this area? Is the new morality causing us to have more peace? Are our children healthier mentally and psychologically? Are, Are people staying together longer in married relationships? Have our new views on morality helped us financially? 
Are we better off financially or has it created more money problems? The, the truth is that you really don't need a preacher. You don't even need scripture to tell you that when you follow the new cultural morality, it does not lead to more peace. Rather, it leads to a whole lot of frustration and even in many cases, a lot of desperation. Because when you take sexual intimacy and do like our culture and says, make it casual and recreational and distort it and, and, and rip it out of its God-given context and just be Begin to kind of go with your passions. You know, kids will be kids, and, and, and boys will be boys, and how could this be so wrong when it feels so right, and who cares what I look at? I'm not hurting anybody else. When you adopt these cultural views, you don't need a preacher. You don't need me. You don't even need scripture to tell you that our family relationships and our mental well-being and even our financial situations will begin to crumble. And I believe it's time that we woke up to reality. Some of you might remember the old story, or maybe it was a, a fairy tale of the king that was hoodwinked by weavers who claimed to be able to make him a suit of clothes that was completely invisible. Of course, this was all a ploy, but what happened is that the king would put on these supposed new invisible clothes designed by these weavers, walk around his kingdom, and, and nobody had the courage to tell the king that he was walking around naked until a little innocent child, all of a sudden, out of shock, he spoke up and said, the king doesn't have on any clothes. Well, in the fairy tale, the, the king realized he had been duped, but he didn't want anybody to think he was so dumb and naive to fall for this prank. So he continued with this game of pretend. I believe it's time that we quit the pretending. Because what our culture is calling progress is not progress. You know, the way we're approaching sexual intimacy, the way that we promote it, the way that we even champion and, and call people courageous and cheer them on when they decide to go public with new forms of gratification and partnerships and relationships and unions is simply not working. The, the new morality is breaking our culture. The new morality is breaking America. I read this past week where organizers for the Tokyo Olympics will be handing out 150,000 forms of birth control to just the athletes alone. And now they've pretty much banned all spectators. But, but, but here's the fact that really stood out to me. Again, 150,000 forms of birth control. And do you know how many athletes they're expecting to participate? 11,091. But they're handing out 150,000 forms of birth control. You do the math and, and see how broken we are. We, we bought into a lie. I mean, all the way from child pornography to child prostitution to child abuse onto what's happening in Africa in terms of AIDS ripping into that continent and, and millions of children growing up without parents because of the misapplication of sex. Our new morality is not working. So as God looks down on our new morality, what, what do you think God is saying? Um, do you think he's saying, well, you know, just be careful, you know, be safe, be responsible, make sure you take precautions to not get a disease, make sure you don't bring an unwanted child into the world. Do you think God is saying that? Uh, of course not. Now that's what culture says. Our, our culture says, be responsible, be safe. Here, here, let us give you birth control so you can do it responsibly. But, but as God looks down on us and sees into our damaged souls and 
looks into our broken hearts. And he sees the struggle that we have with intimacy and all the struggles we have in marriage and, and all of the I wish I hadn't and, and all the baggage that follows us around in our marriages. And as God looks at our past of being abused as a child and, and the result is that even now as an adult, there's such a disconnect in our intimacy. I don't think God is looking down saying, hey, hey guys, I, I, I know boys will be boys and I know humans will be humans. And you will be prone to wander, but just make sure you do two things. One, don't force yourself on anyone. And number two, be responsible. I don't think that's what God is saying. Now, obviously, men and and women have struggled living moral lives since the very beginning of time. But in my lifetime, it seems that the new view of morality began to really take a foothold back in the 60s and 70s when the hippie movement came to the forefront. Now, I want to make it clear that our hippie friends didn't invent immorality. But it was a period of time when it, when it seemed that different types of immoral behaviors would gain some cultural acceptance. Now, now, frankly, today, the old hippie movement almost seems pretty mild and conservative, doesn't it? I mean, looking at what's going on today, we think, man, they, they were pretty conservative back then. Uh, now, I realize that Many of you are not old enough to remember the hippie movement. I, I do remember it. I, um, I, I never did become a hippie. Uh, the closest thing I did was to have hair that came down over my ears. And, and that was the kind of the big thing back then. And, and, and my mom and dad, uh, you know, didn't, didn't necessarily like it. But I think they kind of thought that's not a battle we're really going to fight. And uh, they decided that probably hair over the ears wouldn't really send me directly to hell. And so they let me do it. And, and, and this, this wasn't part of the hippie movement necessarily, but, but I also had lamb chop sideburns that made me look like Elvis Presley. And um, I, I was never able to shake my hips like he, he could. Um, sorry, I digress there. But, but back in the 70s, it was uh, peace, bro, peace, man. And it, it's okay to experiment with recreational drugs and LSD. And, 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 and all of that stuff began to take a foothold and and rock and roll music, uh, you know, be, became the, the, the big deal. And I remember the church went all out to preach against rock and roll music uh, because they believed if you listened to rock and roll music for 15 seconds, it would send you directly to hell. I mean, just straight to hell. And, and um, you know, what's kind of funny is that today, what we used to think was, was horrible, wicked, evil, hellish rock and roll music, now we look at those as, as the classics. Uh, um, we all live in a yellow submarine <laughs> or Hotel California. And, uh, and you listen to those classics on the radio and you think, oh, man, I just love those songs. Well, 50 years ago, they would send you to hell. Um, well, well, back during the hippie movement, halter tops came in and we started getting used to seeing everybody's belly buttons. And, and we didn't have skinny jeans back then, but we had bell bottoms. And, um, you know, I, I don't have the body to really be a model for skinny jeans, but, but I remember back, uh, you know, as a teen, I, I got into uh, wearing bell bottoms. And um, my, my parents got me some, and, and I didn't think that they were big enough down there, bottom of the legs. And so here's what my mom did. I had my mom sew in different colored fabric, and so I mean they were big like this. And, and, and I walked around, I was so cool. Nobody was 
as cool as I was because I had bell bottoms that were really big and big enough to fit around my waist. You know, those of you that lived in the 70s, you remember a lot of that stuff. But again, even though hippies didn't invent immorality, they began promoting sex as kind of a recreational activity for everyone. And it was all about make love, not war. And again, sorry I digress, but, but as I've talked with people, not just from that period of time, but as I've talked with other people who had loose morals, not once have I heard anyone, as they came down to the end of their life, say, man, if I could have just slept with more people. Man, I, I'm struggling psychologically because I didn't have enough lovers. You know, I just needed more partners. I, I've, I've never heard that. You've never heard that. Why? Because that story doesn't exist. What I hear, what you hear, it's all about the regrets of being unfaithful and wishing that they had stayed pure or wishing they had stayed married. But yet today our culture is is like that king pretending and we don't want to admit that our new morality is not working. And when a pastor speaks up, we kind of go, oh, brother, you you, you can't be serious. And if I were to stand out in the middle of Highway 54 with a big sign that says, sex is for married people, people would drive by and go, good grief. What what does he think he's doing? And and I'm not advocating that approach, but because morality has become so distorted, our, our culture and even sometimes church people push back when we stand up against immoral behaviors, whether it's immorality in the traditional sense, between a man and a woman, or immorality involving same-sex partnerships and unions. And we're all paying a price because of it. From physical diseases to emotionally disturbed children and and adults to bankrupt finances because of having to support exes and and children in multiple homes to, to broken souls and damaged hearts. So even though I don't plan on standing in the middle of 54 with a sign yet, Today, I, again, I, I need to kind of, I, I feel I need to take on the role of a prophet and just say simply without any fancy outline or anything like that, I, I feel I need to speak up, speak up and, and everything I am going to say today could be summed up in one sentence. If I lose you, let me get in this sentence that pretty much is everything in a nutshell. Here it is. Sex is for a man and woman in the context of marriage. Which simply means this. Any other context for sexual intimacy is wrong. Whether it's between teens that are experimenting. Whether it's married people having an affair. Or whether it's intimacy between people of the same gender. God's norm for sexual intimacy is limited between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. I think a good way to illustrate this is by saying that sexual intimacy is like a fire. And a fire is good when it's in the fire pit. But fire is not good if it rages through the forest. Now, if it rages through the forest, the problem is not fire. The problem is the location of the fire. You know, I've always loved to camp. Uh, My wife, not so much. You know, when our kids were small, my wife and I compromised. We bought an air-conditioned pop-up camper that had a bathroom in it. 
And we dragged that thing from north to south, from east to west, and, and because my wife's motto is rough it smoothly, pop-up camping was the extent of our camping. But, but for me, there's, there's something about the simplicity of camping that just kind of reboots my perspective and my peace. And when we go to, uh, to Colorado every year, you know, for the climb, we, we camp there and that's, that's therapeutic for me. You know, we, we will hike in an hour or two an established base camp and we will set up our tents. And then the next thing we will do, unless there's a fire ban, is to gather wood and test our skills and see if we can get a fire going there in the higher elevation. We need that fire because once the sun drops behind the mountains, I found there even in July, at, at 10,000 feet above sea level, sometimes, even though it may be 90 degrees here in Missouri or 100 degrees here in Missouri, it will dip down to the upper 30s or low 40s at night there. So we gather wood. We, we, we stack it up like we learned in Boy Scouts and then light the wood. And as that fire begins to consume those sticks, it pops and, and it crackles and fire's awesome. But it's only awesome when it's in the right place. And, and, and I found that when guys get away from the pressures of, of, of jobs here, and sometimes we get a little bit crazy, but I've never seen any of the guys take a burning stick from the fire and go running through the spruce trees there or the groves of quaking aspen trees or the scrub oak vegetation, running, pretending they're Tarzan and Swinging that burning stick all around, dropping sparks everywhere in the woods. Because listen, this very wonderful thing called fire in the wrong place can become extraordinarily destructive. So the starting point for us as we rethink the matter of intimacy is this. God created it. He brought the matches. He stacked the pile of wood. He poured on a gallon of lighter fluid. And I don't know if he said this or not, but perhaps he addressed the angel and said, you angels have a lot of perks, but you don't have this one. And maybe the angel said, well, it almost makes you want to become human. So let's see what advice Scripture gives us. The first phrase of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 will kick off our lesson, then we'll backtrack to verse 15. And as I try to do most Sundays, let me give you the context for this scripture. And most of you, many of you would know that the Apostle Paul was a church planter, and he planted churches there in the country that we know uh, today as, as Turkey back then was Asia Minor, and uh, also in the, in the country that we know as, as, as Greece and one of those churches was in the city of Corinth, which was a little bit to the west of Athens. Some years later, after Paul had moved on to, in his ministry, he wrote a couple of letters back to this church in Corinth. Actually, scholars believe that he wrote four letters. Um, only two of them survived, and, and, and some would say, well, 2 Corinthians actually is a combination of two letters that were put together. But he wrote some letters to try to correct some issues in the church. Now, now the city of Corinth, if, if you can imagine, was a city that was probably more messed up morally than our culture is today. Because they looked at, at, at sexual intimacy as a matter of worship. And you could go to the temple and worship a pagan idol and engage intimately with a temple prostitute, and they had both male and female prostitutes, 
you would pay for the services of that prostitute and you would leave and it had been programmed into your thinking that this was part of worship. They would go home and see their kids and their wife and have lunch together and take them to a soccer game or whatever. So Paul had planted a church there. Obviously the church was not doing very well in the area of morality and so Paul felt he needed to address this matter. I mean, just one situation that told, tells how messed up the church was in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was, there was immorality going on with a church person that the Bible says was even disgusting to the pagans. Uh, it, it said that a man was sleeping with his father's wife. And this was probably not the actual, his actual mother, but probably a stepmother. But, but this just shows what was going on in the church at that time. They were messed up. So, so Paul is writing uh, first and second Corinthians, probably a couple of other letters that uh, didn't survive, trying to correct a very promiscuous culture and church. Here's what Paul says, first Corinthians chapter six, verse 18. The first word is flee. Now that's a strong word that just means run. Don't flirt with it. Run. Flee. Flee from what? From sexual immorality. Now, un unfortunately, because of the distortions of the new morality in our culture, to make sure that we're on the same page as the Bible, I probably need to define immorality. Biblical immorality, and, and this is not cultural immorality, but biblical immorality is any sexual activity or intimacy that takes place outside of the marriage between a man and a woman. Let me further clarify. I know in our culture today, at least in, in, in some states, uh, there is an acceptance of same-gender marriages. But where that may be a, a cultural acceptance, nowhere, and let me say that again, nowhere does the Bible even crack the door open for that new definition of marriage. Nowhere. You can go to the Old Testament. You can go to the New Testament. You can go to Romans chapter 1, verse 27. It's one of the several places that deals with this. Biblical marriage is between a man and a woman, which means that any type of sexual out activity outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is immorality, which would include intimacy between two single people. It would include extramarital affairs. Again, it would include same-sex or same-gender sexual activity, even if they call themselves married. And I know there, there are many people that will not agree with me, but as we talk about immorality, we have to define it the way the Bible defines it. And, and again, if you question that, one of the many places it defines this is, is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. So, so keeping this in mind, here's what Paul said. He said, look, when it comes to sexual activity, when it comes to sensuality, outside the context of marriage between a man and a woman, you have to flee from that. And, and listen to this next phrase. I mean, this has been in the Bible for, what, 2,000 years. And, and I don't know why it's not on a billboard somewhere here in town, because every one of us has been impacted by this next insight it says, all other sins. Now, let me just stop there. Here's what Paul is about to say. He's about to say that there are a lot of different sins. But 
out of all of the many different sins, sexual sins are in a category all of their own. And this isn't because God gets more bent out of shape over them than others. That's not the point he's, he's about to make. The, the reason sexual sin is in a category all of its own is not how it impacts God, but rather how it impacts us. It, it takes a toll on a human being more than any other sin. And anybody who is a psychologist or a counselor, they, they could vouch for this. For example, a seven-year-old that is sexually molested many times will still be affected by this at the age of 40. And it wasn't their sin. It wasn't their fault. But they're still being impacted. It's a fire when taken out of its original context is extraordinarily destructive. Now, let's jump back, as I said we would, a couple of verses to further clarify in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. He says, do, do you not know? Because the Corinthians obviously didn't know, and obviously we don't seem to know either. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So we're, we're his hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears. We, we do the work of Christ on earth. Shall I then take the members of Christ and... and and this next word probably caused the Corinthian people to say, are you kidding? No, 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 no. Um, so I, I want you to say it. Shall I then take the members of Christ and what's? Unite. What's the next word? Unite, which means to fasten, to glue, to permanently attach them with a prostitute? Never. And his audience would go, whoa, Paul, uh, that's a little strong. We're not uniting. We're just having a good time. I mean, who said anything about unite, glue, join, fasten? Paul, I think you misunderstood what we're doing. It's not anything serious. I mean, last week when I was down at the temple worshiping with that prostitute, just sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Uh... I didn't even know her name. I didn't unite. That's not what that was about. Well, Paul is going, you obviously don't understand. You, you think it's just physical recreation. You, you think it's just an activity. But Paul says, when you become intimate with, with someone, you've united with them. Well, Paul goes on in verse 16, says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? And again, I think they pushed back and said, no, 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 Paul, you're not listening to us. We just told you we're not one. We just had a little deal. It was part of our worship. I mean, I don't know her name. She doesn't even know my name. Well, Paul says, Paul says you thought it was a pastime, but it was really a pathway. You see, when you become intimate with someone, you unite with them and become one with them. And when you separate, you take part of them and they take part of you. So Paul is trying to get across that sexual intimacy is not just physical activity. It's a soul thing. It's a heart thing. And when you take it out of its context that God designed for it, Here's what you do. You foul up your intimacy factor. 
That's why if you were raped or you were sexually abused as a child, even though it was not your fault, you still struggle in the realm of intimacy. And Paul then goes all the way back to the book of Genesis to illustrate this, because by Genesis chapter 2, God has already told us what sexual intimacy is. He knew we would figure things out really fast. And so Paul refers back to Genesis 2 to help these Corinthian Christians realize, okay, you, know, you, you think you're just kind of running down there and, and, and you're just having a deal, but this is going to impact you long term. So he says, don't you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it said, and here's where he quotes Genesis, says, for it is said the two, talking about when God created Adam and Eve, the two will become one flesh. Now, now this perhaps explains some of your struggles. Sexual intimacy brings about a oneness that you can never completely undo. You can separate, you can move a thousand miles away, move to the other side of the world, but you leave a little of you and take a little of them. And what happens is it impacts your ability to express and experience intimacy. So, so here's my question. Have you ever in culture heard anyone talk about that? No. Have you ever seen a warning about that? No. You know, we've seen warnings when uh, they're showing you the footage from the collapsed condo in, in Florida where they say, you know, warning, this footage may be disturbing to you. But have you ever seen any warnings on a movie that the scenes may, that you see may impact your ability to express and experience intimacy? Have you ever seen a warning? No. Because it's always portrayed as, well, it happened. It took place, and then you go your merry way as if it never happened. And so when God, through, through the Apostle Paul, says flee immorality, he's not saying this because you might get a disease or, or because you might get pregnant or, or because your, the husband might catch you and beat the tar out of you. Those things may happen, but do you know why primarily God is saying that? Because it's going to dent your soul. It's going to mess with your ability to fully experience what God wants us to experience. And, and the reason God warns us about this through the Old Testament, the New Testament, is not because God is against sex. Remember, he brought the matches. He gathered the wood. He dumped on the lighter fluid. He lit the fire. He's for it. But he's also for you and has your best interest in mind. So... Let's look at three words that we can take home, and these words will help us wrap up this lesson. For those of you, whether you're here today or you're watching online or listening on the radio, maybe you're a little offended that I would talk about this on a Sunday morning, you, and, and you just say, you know, Rip, Rip Van Winkle, wake up. This is the 21st century. Don't you know that? I understand this is a very different message than our culture is presenting today. But, but here's the first word, remember. Just remember what we've talked about. Not, not only will our country and culture pay the price, but so will we as families. That The consequences of ignoring what God says about this will extend down to our kids and our grandkids. This, this lifestyle will create long-term emptiness and bring about a difficulty to stay connected in relationships. 
So I hope you will remember. As someone said this, you'll either figure this out the easy way or the hard way. You'll trust God and obey or you'll disobey and then learn to trust God. Here's the second word. For those who would say, Pastor, I'm guilty. I I know what the Bible says. I'm guilty. Here's the word for you. Rebuild. Obviously, you can't go and change your past. But you can change your future. And Jesus said to the immoral woman, yeah, you've been very sexually active outside of of marriage. This is wrong, but don't let your past define you. I'm not going to condemn you, but you need to go make some changes in your life. So despite the consequences, you can rebuild. You can find peace and fulfillment and not let guilt destroy your future. Here's the third word. If you have been guilty, the word for you is repent. It's an Old Testament word that means to turn around and go the opposite direction. And this refers to any type of sexual impurity. Single people, affairs by married people, same sex, same gender, sexual activity. Repent means, God, I realize it wasn't just a pastime. It was a pathway. I didn't just make a mistake. I sinned. And for some of you, this may mean that you uh, might need to temporarily get rid of your internet because that's kind of what's leading you into this. Or maybe you need to temporarily get rid of your smartphone or set up some safeguards. You say, well, Pastor, that's drastic. But repentance might mean that we have to take some drastic measures because this is dangerous. This will not only affect you, but it can affect several generations of you as you pass on your struggles of relating and connecting with people. So today in this area, I urge you to be anti-cultural. Because if you just go with the flow of culture, you're going to have a bumpy landing. No one lives happily ever after. You will always be frustrated And just keep searching to have that void filled in your life. So what God tells us is we need to repent. This is how Paul ends the passage in verse 20. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It means getting up every morning and praying this, God, I surrender my hands, I surrender my eyes, I surrender my ears, I surrender my mouth, I surrender my feet my mind and for those of you who have fallen if you repent because God is so wonderful through his grace in time you will begin finding healing and he will enable you to experience intimacy which by the way is way better than just sex this morning at the end of the early service I had a young man that came to me just weeping, just bawling his eyes out. We took some time, gathered some guys, we prayed with him, and we prayed that God would be able to kind of take his past and help him to rebuild for the future. So may God help us to not just go with the flow of culture, but may God help us to be against the flow of culture. Let's not forget Paul's words when it comes to this matter. He just says, flee, flee. And again, I don't come to 
you as holier than thou. I don't come judgmental. You know, I know the reality. I, I, I know that there are a lot of people that have fallen and and if you haven't fallen into the sin, you know, there are all kinds of other sins. And I, I, I realize that. And so I don't think you need someone coming and just just really trying to hit you over the head. Uh, I, I just want to come to you and say, can we just maybe um, stand up against this new morality? Because it's not going to end well for America. Let's just follow what the Bible says. And for maybe that are experiencing some of those intimacy issues, for those that have are dealing with the scars of years and years ago, I believe God is able to come and kind of restore, as that scripture says, what the locusts have eaten, and just help us to rebuild. Father, I, I, I know this has definitely violated some comfort zones, and but Father, I, I, I see that our culture... What they call progress is not progress. God, I pray that you would help us as Christians not to look down with scorn, not to look down with a holier-than-thou attitude for those that have stumbled and fallen. But Father, I pray with just a lot of love and support. Lord, uh, understanding that we need to be careful or else we will fall. I pray that we would just be that support for each other, that we would pick each other up. And God, whenever we need to stand up in culture, that we would do so with so much love, there would be nothing of judgment because actually the judgment comes from God. We let you take care of that. Lord, that's what you do well. But Lord, I pray that you've instituted just kind of the the, the institution of marriage and family and that we would do our best to uphold the integrity of it so God, I, I ask that you would just be with us. Help me as pastor of this church. And Lord, uh, I pray that you would help those that are watching online, listening on radio, or just here listening. Father, I pray that you would just help us to follow your directives. God, uh, help us to be pure in a very impure world. God, thank you for your word that instructs us even though we don't always like it, we need it. We thank you. We pray your favor upon these people. Give them your grace and your mercy and your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.